we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. The greatness of mercy and love at the feet of Jesus. And we cry, holy, 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 we cry, holy, 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 we cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. Let's go back to the beginning of this one. We fall Welcome to the second service at Preston Crest. My name is Randy Tucker, and on behalf of the elders, we are glad to have you here with us today. I would remind uh, our members and our visitors to please uh, check in at the number uh, on the screen. You can also use the QR code that's in the card in the rack in, in front of you, as well as if you're a first-time member, we'd ask you to fill out that card and take it to the information center. We have a small gift to uh, recognize your attendance here today. We uh, had a big event this, uh, this week with our uh, annual golf tournament. I understand that uh, there were a number of uh, participants in that event. Uh, they had some good weather. They got that in before the rain, fun and fellowship for the group that participated in that. 
As we uh, enter our time of worship this morning, let's read from uh, Psalms 122.1. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning declaring your glory and righteousness, and we rejoice as we come before your throne. Thank you for the blessings you continually provide. Help us, Father, to be content and not to be greedy. May we always look for ways to share with others, especially with those who are widowed or fatherless. May we provide and practice true hospitality and welcome, not just to those that we know, but to neighbors, strangers on a daily basis, Father. Father, please forgive us. Bring us back into the light as you are light, Father. Keep us out of the darkness. Father, may we forgive others as you have forgiven us and put your hand of protection around us as the opposer is constantly looking for ways to turn us from you. Keep us from deception and guard our hearts. We offer this prayer in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Well, church, let's stand and let's rejoice as we enter into the house of the Lord this morning. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will sing this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He
who y'all came to sing this morning. I love it. I love it. We're going to sing a new song now as we enter into our time of communion. And then Barry Hoffman is going to lead us this morning around the bread and around the cup. And since this is a new song, it, it's really simple. Well, kind of simple. But uh, just join me on that uh, melody and then we can break off into, into parts uh, as you are able to. But let's, uh, I love this song just because it tells the story of the sacrifice and then celebrates the resurrection and the freedom that we all enjoy. Let's sing. How great the
Good morning. A sign points to something beyond itself. A sign may be an object or an event that reminds us of a story or calls us to do something or warns us not to do something, perhaps to take some action or to refrain from doing it. While driving down the road on any given day, one might notice hundreds of signs. When stopped at a light yesterday, uh, my wife and I noticed a sign on the back of a car, just a little round sticker that said United States Marine Corps, and it immediately brought to mind the background story that this sign implies, the years of sacrifice and dedication of the son or daughter and their family. And if you are serving or have served in the armed forces, thank you for your service. I mean that. And there's another type of sign you might see, flowers along the road, or falling leaves or snow and be prompted to consider, ah, it's spring or fall or winter. At another stoplight on another trip, I saw the person in front of me attempt to make a U-turn and I immediately blurted out, no, you can't do that. Why? Because next to the stoplight, there was a big upside down U with a red circle with a slash through it, a sign meaning no U-turns allowed here. We cannot function without signs. And one of the interesting aspects of studying the Bible is the use of signs. These signs can range from the miraculous to the mundane, but signs always play an important role in the story. The book of Exodus is full of signs and, and wonders, but sometimes they are simple, simple and ordinary. In Exodus 3, God tells Moses on Mount Horeb, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. The Israelites' worship of God on Mount Horeb was to be a sign of the mighty act of God bringing his people out of Egypt. Just like the sign United States Marine Corps on the back of a car conjures up the entire story of years of discipline and sacrifice. The fact of worshiping on the mountain was to remind Moses, you did not do this on your own. It was Yahweh who sent you and he was with you the whole time. The New Testament has a number of signs, many of them miraculous, but again, sometimes they are commonplace. This meal that we partake of, this Lord's Supper, this communion, Paul says is a sign a proclamation of the crucifixion of Jesus and by our participation in this meal, it is a sign to the world that we participate in his death. Let us pray. Father in heaven, as we partake of this bread, help us to remember the story that this bread points to, his body given for us on the cross. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
Sometimes a sign can be a simple nameplate. It tells what or who the object or person is. In the Gospel of John, in an ironic twist that John has such an eye for, he tells us that Pilate had noticed, had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. Before we came to Jesus, our nameplate might have said dead, sinner, or godless, but now we have a new nameplate, a sign that says forgiven. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we partake of the cup, help us to remember the blood and because of that blood, we have new life as a forgiven people. In Jesus' name, amen. I love that song, and it fits so well with the series we're starting today. Thank you for that, and thank you for those thoughts, Barry. Uh, very good, very good. Sign that points to our salvation, reminds us who we are and the price that was paid. Love that, love that. Uh, if you're visiting with us, and uh, we're just glad that you're here. So glad that you're here to worship with us. Members, we're obviously glad to see the family together as well. It's so good to worship as the family of Christ here at Preston Crest. Uh, today is a little special because it's a World Care Sunday. So we have our regular offering. We also have uh, World Care. And you're going to hear more about Andre Kabaya who lives in Kinshasa with his family, Democratic Republic of Congo. You probably don't know him. In fact, I bet none of you know him. Uh, but he is one of our partners in the gospel over there, works with the School of Preaching over there. 
his house burnt down, and WorldCare uh, is going to help them rebuild their house, which is a good, good thing. You're going to hear from him in just a couple of minutes. Of course, WorldCare, there's a box in the foyer, as well as for regular offerings. There are also drop-down menus on the website through church teams as well. So let's pray about Andre and about the good works of this church. Lord, uh, it is so good to be together and to celebrate the freedom we have in Christ. Lord, it's good to know that we have brothers and sisters around the world who are also celebrating and sharing the good news in their parts of the world as well. We pray especially for Andre and his family. Uh, We pray your blessings on their work. We pray also that you'll just be with them in a special way as they rebuild. I can't imagine how devastating that would be, but I'm thankful that we today get a chance to help him and his family. We pray that all of the good works of this church will be signs pointing to you, to your grace and goodness. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hello, brethren. I'm your brother, Andre Kabeya Manzingele, administrator of the Hilton Terry Preaching School since the year 2004. This school operates thanks to the sponsorship of Preston Crest, Church of Christ, with whom we have a long association. My family and I were victims of a devastating fire which destroyed our house and which turned everything we had into smoke, such as furniture, gloves, library, academic and administrative documents, kitchen utensils, and other appliances. Please, that is why we came to beg you according to your means to help us so that we can rebuild our house and to replace everything we lost. The fire took place on Tuesday, August 30, 2022, and since then we have we have been spending the nights under the stars and under the shade which saved us as our place of worship as you have seen through the photos. To rebuild our house we need $15,500 and to replace the basic necessities we have lost we need $5,000. This is a cry of distress we send to you asking you to help us for this purpose. Thank you very much for your outpouring of compassion towards us. May God bless you for all you have always done for us. My family and I as a whole are very grateful to all of you. Thank you and bye-bye. I said this in first service. I, I love it that he told us exactly what he needs and what he needs it for. 
again. We have a box in the foyer for World Care offering, and there, are, there is online uh, a drop-down menu. You can select World Care as well to give to that. And the East, uh, as you uh, go out the East doors, the main East doors, I have uh, a list of food items. And I'm telling you, we're getting smarter with this, church. Y'all recognize one of these? That bag will hold everything. Now, you can, keep it in, you can keep it in your grocery sacks and just put those in that rascal right there. And then we're going to put a turkey in it, too. I mean, it will hold everything. So it's got our name on it. It's got, uh, it's got the name of our friends up in Frisco as well on the handle. And I'm hoping I don't get in trouble for that. But uh, we thank them for their big, sturdy bag that we bought so, uh, hey, grab one of those, one per family to start off with. If I've got more left over, then, yeah, you can, you can grab another one. But um, the food list has got pictures on it. So, so moms, dads, take your kids with you shopping. And you can get all of these for these families that have come to us and said, hey, we need help at Thanksgiving. So you can use this list and go shopping. Bring that list back. We'll just lay those bags over here in the foyer in the north end. And uh, those are due back by Sunday, November 13th. So you get another couple of Sundays before they're due. All right, let's stand. We're going to send kids on up to Children's Church. We'll sing one more song, and then Gordon's going to come back and share with us. Everyone needs compassion, love that's never failing, let mercy fall me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of the Savior, the hope of nations. We're going to get a cease and desist from those bags. <laughs> uh, I think Ikea's got bigger fish to, to fry than worry about our project of feeding our neighbors. I would hope so. Um, it did remind me, though, of years ago, I think it was 2011, we did a, a sermon series here, Love Always, and we had these cool, Angie did a great job, these really neat coffee cups, and they were green, and they had the little boxes on the outside, you know, where you would put latte or, or almond milk or something that said, you know, kindness, goodness, self-control. Uh, it had different things on there, and uh, a couple months after the series was over, we got a cease and desist from Starbucks, and we were so proud of that letter, we framed it and hung it in the office, and <laughs> since... 
Yeah, that's what you're shooting for. Maybe we can frame another one. Uh, and since the, the sermon series was two months over, it was like, yeah, we'll cease and desist, yeah. And uh, anyway. Jesus once said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And you think about his, his ministry, his travels, the miracles of Jesus. It was all about breaking chains, breaking people out of bondage, bondage of sin, bondage to, to sin addiction, bondage to physical illness, bondage to hopelessness, bondage to fear of the future. All of this Jesus proclaimed and demonstrated through his powerful ministry. And I got to say, you know, one of the joys of my life has been getting to watch firsthand people find Jesus, give their lives to him, and experience this explosion of life and hope and grace and break free from things that held them back before. It is so great. Uh, one time Paul said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So we're starting a new series today, Freedom in Christ. And today we're talking about the foundation of our freedom in Christ, the gospel. Uh, we're going to talk as the series goes on about our freedom from addiction, bad habits, strongholds that Satan has in our lives, freedom from uh, addiction to approval. Some of us are approval addicts and how Jesus breaks us free from that. We're going to talk about also uh, freedom from disunity, how what we have in the gospel sets us free from so many of the things that divide people and it holds us together. So I hope this series is a blessing and helps us each grow in our relationship to Jesus and grow together as a family. Now this Today, what we're going to talk about comes out of Galatians, which is a letter Paul wrote to a group of churches in what we would think of as modern-day Turkey. And those churches had a real problem. There was a poisonous teaching that was permeating these churches. And Paul wrote a strong, borderline angry letter in response the teaching is pretty simple. Here's the heresy in Galatia. It goes like this. The gospel is great, but it's not enough. The gospel is great, but you're going to need more than the gospel to get right with God. And so you could almost brand their gospel, air quotes, as a gospel plus a gospel plus. Now the gospel, the true gospel says, there is nothing that you or I can add to our salvation. It was accomplished through Jesus, right? His death, his burial, his resurrection, that is enough. That is the final word, period, full stop. You don't add anything to your salvation. It's his blood, it's his righteousness. It's, it's in Christ alone. So the gospel plus comes along and adds some extras. In those days, it was the gospel plus observing a bunch of rules about the Sabbath or the gospel plus circumcision or the gospel plus this or that tradition or part of the law of Moses that they said was essential to be saved now, over the centuries, other groups have added their own uh, 
accoutrement to the gospel, their own writers to the gospel, their own, the gospel is great but not enough, uh, rules to the gospel. And so this is the starting point for our series this morning, Freedom in Christ. It is getting back to the gospel, the foundation of our relationship with God and the foundation of the life that we enjoy in Jesus. And you got to get the foundation right. We all know that. Because if you mess up the foundation, anything you put on top is going to be shaky at best. Paul reminded the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Read that with me if you would. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We have one foundation, it's Jesus. There is nothing I can add to my salvation. There is nothing you can add. It's, and by the way, faith is not an add-on. Faith is simply that. It's trusting that Jesus is enough. It's trusting in the sufficiency of Christ. Um, and so, our salvation becomes not something we earn. It is a grace, a gift of God. Paul told the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, he said, For by grace, literally by gift, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. Like, you don't get to say, wow, I've done a great job getting myself saved. You don't get to say, hey, thanks Jesus for the boost. I can handle the rest of it myself. No one can boast. No one can claim that their works added anything to the work Jesus accomplished at Calvary. So the gospel plus, yeah, that's not a gospel at all. So let's get into our text, and I think you'll hear the tone of Paul. Uh, he is not real happy with the situation developing there in these churches. Verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. Paul writes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to another gospel, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And so this is it broadside. For six chapters in this letter, Paul is going to wipe out any idea that we get to add to or earn our salvation. He's going to obliterate self-salvation projects to try to get his precious friends in Galatia back to the gospel that saves. And by the way, that's really strong language, accursed. If we preach a different gospel, we're accursed. If an angel from where? From heaven preaches a different gospel, they are accursed. And I wouldn't normally recommend that anybody pick a fight with an angel from heaven. But if an angel shows up 
in your home and starts preaching to you that Jesus isn't enough, feel free to square off. <laughs> that angel is accursed. Now, if we're going to put our shoes, I mean, I think it's good. Let me put it this way. It is good to try to put ourselves in the shoes of these Galatian teachers. We don't agree with them. Paul certainly didn't agree with them. But we can understand where they were coming from. A large makeup of these churches would have been Jewish Christians. People who were born and raised in the Jewish faith. They knew the law. They had followed the law. They had been in the synagogues on Sabbath days. Um, I mean, this was, the law was so important. It was a centerpiece of their Jewishness, of their history, of their identity. And the law came from God. All right? So we should be able to kind of understand why they're like, well, yeah, we, we still need to follow the law. I mean, it's still from God, you know. We can kind of understand where they were coming from. In fact, it's interesting. I was thinking this week, there were so many things. There were different groups. Like we would think of denominations today of Christians. Well, there were so many denominations of different Jewish groups in the first century. There were the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Essenes, and other groups as well. And they disagreed on all sorts of things. But the one thing they agreed on was we need to follow the law. They even disagreed about which book should be in the Old Testament or should be considered sacred or not, but they all agreed on the Torah, on the first five books of the Bible. We need to follow those. And so we can kind of understand, wow, this teaching of Paul and these gospel preachers is pretty, pretty different, pretty revolutionary. Um, uh, so this kind of reminds me of the story of Sam. Sam was a young dad, went down to the state fair, he won a toy in one of the games. And when they got home, it was Sam and his five children. He only had one toy. He had five kids. So he had asked them, hey, which of you deserves the toy that I won today? And his five little children were just quiet. They didn't have an answer. He said, well, which one of you obeys all of the rules around the house? Again, silence. Which one of you does everything that mom asks you to do? At this point, they had an answer. Their five little voices in unison said, Okay, Dad, you can have the toy. <laughs> right? um, we understand that there is a problem with the law in that it kind of creates lawbreakers. Like you may have heard the ancient wisdom, there are three ways to get something done. You can do it yourself. You can hire someone to do it, or you can forbid your kids from doing it. Those are the three ways to get something done. If you're a parent, you know this. Your children are lawbreakers. You set rules, and they find ways to skirt those rules or to flat out break those rules. Um, and if you're still not getting the point, let me give you a challenge right now. Here's a new rule. Do not, for the next 10 seconds, look at the stained glass window behind me. Okay, how many of you just looked at the stained glass window behind it? Yeah, it doesn't work. The law, what it does is it does a really good job of showing you how messed up you are. <laughs> the law of God, which is perfect and true, it does a great job of holding up a mirror and showing every fault, every blemish within you and showing you you are not good enough. You and God don't have that much in common. Um, so the law, yeah, in some circumstances, it can guide and alter our behaviors. 
But the law does a lousy job of changing our hearts. It does not do well at modifying our motivations. And God, you know, by the time Jesus, the Son of God, arrives on the scene, God had thousands of years and thousands and thousands of people as empirical data that the law, what it doesn't do is make people right. Nobody had been able to keep the law. It was a failure at getting people saved. What it was a great success at was proving the people were law breakers. Paul says in Galatians 3.19, Why then was the law given? <laughs> it was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. Like if you read the law of God and you walk away feeling better about yourself and your righteousness, you didn't read very closely, okay? If you encounter God's perfect law and you feel like, yeah, I think God and I are squared away, we're good. You didn't pay attention to the law. It shows us not how good we are, but the contrary. And I was thinking this week just about the very basics of the law, the starting blocks of the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, God's top ten. You start with, you shall have no other gods before me. You guys have heard that before, right? No other gods before me. And I want you to think about yourself. Have you ever put someone or something or yourself ahead of God? Have you ever kind of ignored or brushed aside God to elevate your agenda? I have. Have you ever misused the name of God? Another one of the Ten Commandments, I have. Have you ever coveted what someone else had? Have you ever lied or bent the truth? Have you ever at any point in your life dishonored your mother and father? I have. I cannot even get out of these starting blocks. And the law is doing its job of saying, you are not righteous. You're going to need help. And so here's the beautiful thing that the law does. It, it pushes people to Jesus. It pushes people to the one who can save them. The one who is enough. The one who got it right. Jesus Christ. Um, the law, and this is the rest of Paul's argument in Galatians chapter 3. Its main job is that, taking people to Jesus. It is a, a tutor, Paul will say, a teacher that teaches them about the righteous one who came to save them. It reveals that no self-salvation project is right, that no one is self-righteous. And so the Galatians this won't surprise you, one of the side effects that they discovered when you try to do life according to the law, when you believe it's really up to you, Jesus, thank you, great start, I've got to climb the rest of the way myself. If you follow that line, you are going to become a joyless person. You are going to become bitter. Your relationship with God is going to be heavy and burdensome. And that's what happened in these churches in Galatia. And, and, and Paul, who knew these folks, says this in chapter 4, verse 15. He says, where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt 
then. He knew them. He remembered their stories. Ah, the smiles and the tears of joy when they were baptized into Christ. Um, The spring in their step, the hope that they had in their eyes. And now they've gone backward. What happened? Where did the joy go? Well, the joy went bye-bye when they decided the gospel wasn't enough. And that it was now up to them. And Paul could personally remember his dealings with this crowd, with these teachers who were infiltrating with this message that the gospel wasn't enough. He shares some of his own story. Chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Even that question, he's talking about the question of his friend and partner in the gospel, Titus, being circumcised. Even that question came up only because of some so-called believers there, false ones really, who were secretly brought, try to imagine the scene, secretly brought in, they sneaked in to spy on us and to take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. So clearly, freedom in Christ, that is what we have because of the good news. Paul uh, got a glimpse in real time in his life of what it looks like when, when grace and law collide against each other. And these people, hey, likely sincere in their beliefs, these so-called believers, um, they show up, they believe in a, in a rule-based righteousness, and they were suspicious of Paul and these good news, these gospel preachers. And so what did they do? They snuck in And they started spying on these guys. They were so distrustful of the whole idea that Jesus could be enough. It just seemed too good to be true. And so surely there are things that need to be added to that. Let's keep an eye on Paul and Titus and these other preachers. Man, you talk about, wow, the culture there in Galatia. You talk about a church, a community of faith that was toxic, that was poisoned. Think about that. You've got the Apostle Paul who, I mean, people are sneaking around spying on him and on others. I mean, this, if this were today, they would be scrutinizing his social media feed. They were looking for anything that they could find to say, there, he's off. He's wrong. Man, they spied on these believers, but the overall effort, Paul says, was to curtail the freedom of the brothers and sisters there in Galatia. Um, and, 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 and Paul just says, hey, you guys know how you were saved. You weren't saved by your own righteousness. You were saved by the righteousness of Jesus. Galatians 2, 4, he says... They sneaked in to spy on us, take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations. Again, it's not like the false teachers had these bad motives. They just didn't grasp the gospel. 
They just didn't accept Jesus was enough. Um, So Paul, this is interesting. And I think this helps us personally to go, okay, we can see how we can get a little bit off from time to time because Paul actually had to take this issue up with, maybe you've heard of him, the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter, well, I don't think he backslid into rules-based righteousness. He allowed himself to be affected by those who were teaching it and fearful of them and trying to kind of kowtow to them. Uh, and so this was happening in Galatians. Pa- Paul kind of describes it, Galatians 2, 11 to 13. It happened in the city of Antioch, All right? There were these teachers there. And when, Paul, when Peter got into town, he wanted to be in good with them. And so the apostle Peter started essentially shunning Gentile believers. Wouldn't eat dinner with them. Oh, the Gentiles are going to Chili's? Yeah, I'm going to join the crew, these false teachers who are all going down to KFC. I mean, he wasn't even breaking bread with the Gentiles there. And Paul had to talk to him about that. It's just another tragic consequence of a church that adds to the gospel. It creates a climate of suspicion and fear. And so Galatians chapter 2.12, he says, Peter, Peter drew back from those Gentile believers. He drew back, separated himself, fearing the gospel plus crowd, fearing the circumcision party. Uh, We have freedom in Christ. Amen? I hope you know that in your head. I hope you feel that in your heart. Now, here are three things that we can do so we don't slide back into legalism, into a up-to-me kind of righteousness. The first thing is to be, like the Apostle Paul, a freedom fighter. Uh, We call out any gospel plus that says salvation rests on more than what Jesus accomplished at Calvary. Um, How did the apostle Paul handle the situation of those who were there in Galatia adding to the gospel? Well, Galatians chapter 2 verse 5, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved in you. We didn't give an inch. Now, we know, hey, In a community, you have to make compromises, right? We know that. There are loads of places where there's a give and take for us to do life together. The gospel is not one of those things, though, that we compromise. We don't yield in submission even for a moment, Galatians 2, 5. Galatians 2, 21 says this. I do not set aside the grace of God. I don't do that. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. The church of Christ cannot surrender the sufficiency of Christ. Because of Jesus' death, we are saved, not because of our ability to comply with the laws of God. The second thing that we can do and this is kind of our part as well, as we respond to Gospel Plus or other foundations, um, we look to build authentic community. That means, well, a lot of things. We challenge each other without giving up on each other. 
We encourage each other. We, sh- we have tough conversations with each other. Uh, we do those things to build community. Paul, when he saw the apostle Peter sharing things that were not exactly uh, right or, or doing, behaving in ways that weren't right, um, Paul talked to Peter. What a concept. He talked to him. And by the way, it wasn't like Paul looked down on Peter. No, Paul in chapter 2 calls Peter, quote, a pillar of the church. He honored Peter. He recognized the leadership role of, of the apostle Peter. But he knew even this pillar of the church wasn't perfect and sometimes needed to be called out on some stuff. Now, here's the important thing. And Paul shows us the best course here. We need to go to someone instead of talking about someone. You with me? You talk about toxic and unhealthy. Talking about someone, gathering intel, spying on someone, reporting over here. That's not healthy at all. And so Paul went straight to Peter and they talked it out. And by the way, if, uh, if Peter a pillar of the church, if Peter, the one who Jesus himself called the rock, if Peter did not have it all figured out, then maybe your brother or sister doesn't, maybe you don't. Maybe we need to give each other a little bit of space, a little bit of room to grow, just as Peter needed some room to grow as well. Well, here's the kicker. Knowing that our salvation is unhooked from our personal righteousness, from our own works, knowing that it is detached from our legal obedience to the law, it does not inhibit our growth in Christ. It accelerates it. God's grace is the fuel that helps us become the men and women that we are supposed to be. Uh, And so this is the third thing. I have been set free to inhabit a better righteousness, one found in Jesus. Like, think about this, like, if your understanding of the gospel makes you a worse Christian, you need to rethink that. Like, if your understanding of what Jesus did for you on the cross makes you less interested in following the commands of Christ, You need to take another look at that. Paul spells this out in Galatians chapter 2. He says in verses 19 and 20, For through the law I died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer, I love this, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ lives in you, sister brother. Christ lives in you. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a new righteousness, a better righteousness. Freedom in Christ doesn't mean now I get to do whatever I want. Freedom in Christ doesn't mean now I'm free from the law so I get to make my own law No, freedom in Christ means I'm a debtor to Jesus. I appreciate how he loves me, how he gave himself for me, and how now he lives within me. And so a disciple chooses 
to be constrained by the love of God and by the word of Christ. We choose to be servants of Jesus. And you may go, wait, wait, wait a second. That sounds less free to me. Let me ask you this. Wouldn't a train be more free if a train didn't have to stay on those limiting train tracks? You know? Wouldn't a car be freer if your car didn't have that pesky brake that's always slowing you down and holding you back? Like, you know, a train won't go anywhere without train tracks. Your car won't probably make it out of your neighborhood without having a brake. And a believer, a disciple, without the commands and teachings of Jesus, isn't more free. They're moving back into bondage. They're moving back into their old life. We have freedom in Christ. But that doesn't just mean freedom from certain things. It means we've been set free for certain things. Peter had some really good things to say about this. He said in 1 Peter 2.16, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, not using your freedom to just do whatever you want, but, as, as, but living as servants of God. That's how you use your freedom. That's how you'll grow in your freedom. That's how you're mature as a disciple of Christ. Now today, I just want to ask you if you're ready to put your faith in the gospel. Are you ready to say yes to Jesus? Yes to what he won for you on the cross. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27, Paul says, baptism is this beautiful moment where you say yes to Jesus. He says, those of you who have been baptized have, you've put on Christ. So, do you need to be baptized? Better question, do you want to put on the forgiveness of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, the spirit of Christ? Is that a choice that you want to make? Then the answer is yes. You need to be baptized. Put on Christ. Be clothed with Jesus today. Maybe today you just need the prayers of this church. We would love to pray with you, pray over you, pray for you. It could be someone around you. Just pray as we sing this morning or come down and pray with me, one of our shepherds. Uh, maybe you want to know more about being part of this church, being part of our family at Preston Crest. Uh, we'd love to talk to you about membership as well. Right now, though, let us praise the Lord and celebrate the freedom that we have in Jesus as we stand and worship. Lord, I come, I confess,
Thank you for that message in this new series of Freedom in Christ and John Scott for your leadership this morning. Would you read with me as we conclude our service, 2 Corinthians 3, 17? Let's read together. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen. Amen.